Music has such power. Um, there's a book called The Power of Music by Eleanor Manis, and she says that scientists have found that music stimulates more parts of the brain than any other human function. She also has worked out that the cries of babies just a few weeks old were found to contain some of the basic intervals that are common to Western music, which is just so interesting. These babies are crying in a similar tone to what they are hearing. There's all kinds of music therapies these days. Uh, music can be a stress reliever. It can be a pain reliever. Studies have found that listening to music actually increases the amount of dopamine that's produced in the brain. Dopamine is a mood-enhancing chemical. And so it makes music really great for, for mental health, um, for emotions. And it's just so interesting. Music is so powerful. Billy Joel once said, I think music in itself is healing. It's an explosive expression of humanity. It's something we are all touched by. No matter what culture we're from, everyone loves music. I think most of us would agree with that statement. I'm sure that you can think of some songs that every time you hear them, you have some kind of an emotional response. And maybe it's the first dance from your wedding, or maybe it's a song that reminds you of a, a heart sore breakup. Um, maybe a song that kind of takes you back to a really fun time with friends. Maybe friends even that have moved far away. Music often has that nostalgic kind of emotion that it brings about. Or maybe when you enter a time of, of dealing with the loss of a loved one, music has the ability to transport you right back to that moment. Or what about worship music? I know for myself, I've got a whole lot of songs stored up in my memory bank that take me back to moments of intimacy in my relationship with God or moments where God met me at a different space in my walk with him. What are those songs for you, I wonder? Makes me think a little bit of King David and the Psalms. You know, David was a guy who seemed to have a song for every moment, every situation that he found himself in, he went to God with a song. Music is powerful. I came across a group of singers last week that are called the Robin Island Singers. It's a group of three guys who are former inmates at Robin Island, and, and now they use the songs and the stories from their struggle um, to kind of in inspire and encourage people. But their story is that as teenagers, they took the path of armed struggle, and each one of them in, in his own way um, decided to fight against apartheid. And they were captured, they were tortured, interrogated, tried, and they met in a communal cell on Robben Island during the time that Nelson Mandela was there. So that's where they met. They all came from their own separate backgrounds, and that's the point where they met. And you can imagine the dreams of personal and, and kind of national liberation where they deadened those dreams. Well, actually, no. They say that these dreams came alive. They came alive in prison and mostly when prisoners sang in harmony. Singing became a key to survival for them on Robben Island. It became a way to fight back. A few things that were said um, by different prisoners around singing. Uh, one, one prisoner said, singing is part of the cultural life of South Africans, especially black South Africans. Singing is part of our very rich culture. Every facet of our lives is celebrated through music. So when you go to jail, the tradition continues. When you are down, music uplifts the spirit. Music gives you hope. 
You cannot stop a political prisoner from talking, and you cannot stop an African from singing. Despite the terrible conditions, political prisoners found ways to resist the authorities' attempts to break their spirits. And the fundamental key to survival and to prisoner resistance on Robben Island came in the form of music. Another prisoner said, you could sing your way out of pain and survive. Another said, we found strength in music. We walked around the island feeling much more confident and assertive than the very warders who were actually tormenting us. And Nelson Mandela was recorded as saying, music is a great blessing. It has the power to elevate and liberate us. It sets people free to dream. It sets people free even when you're in chains. Music is powerful. There is power in a song, which brings me straight to our passage for today, where we're going to read about Paul and Silas in prison. So why don't you read with me from Acts chapter 16, and we're going to read from verse 25. About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Now we've jumped into the story at quite an intense part. It kind of reminds me of those series where you watch them and they start at this most hardcore point and you you need to go back a little bit to get a bit of context. So that's what we're going to do. Let's go back a little bit. How did they get to this point? So Paul had completed one missionary journey and he was on his second missionary journey. He's in Philippi, a major city in Macedonia, and essentially there's this girl that they meet who had a spirit in her that enabled her to predict the future. And the, the people who owned this slave girl were making a fortune from this girl. But Paul drove the spirit out of her, which obviously made the owners of the slave girl very mad um, because it ruined their business. And so Paul and Silas were, were dragged before the court. That was what started this uproar. Um, and if you read with me what happened, if we jump back a little bit to verse 20 in Acts chapter 16, it says, They brought them before the magistrates, And said, these men are Jews, and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, And he fastened their feet in the stocks. I mean, understand this abuse. It was hardcore. This is the stuff that if I'd mentioned earlier when I was speaking about Robin Island, you probably would have said like, yo, this is intense. Like, is this even necessary? This is very explicit. But this is what Paul and Silas went through. And if we understand what they went through, verse 20 speaks about intimidation. Uh, Verse 22 says that they were beaten with rods, which were a series of wooden rods that were bound together that were carried around by the police in those days for, for this purpose. Paul had been beaten in his life about three times. So you can imagine the emotional, the physical exhaustion that he faced. I think so much worse knowing what's about to happen to you. In verse 23, um, we read that they were put in the inner dungeon. That's the dirtiest part, the darkest part 
of the prison and that their feet were clamped in the stocks. Now you can imagine in the stocks, legs are spread as far apart as possible to make these prisoners as uncomfortable as possible. No wonder Paul writes when he writes to the Corinthians. And re- listen to this. We're reading from the message. We don't want you and the dark friends about how hard it was when all this came down on us in Asia province. It was so bad, we didn't think we were going to make it. We felt like we'd been sent to death row, that it was all over for us. I mean, this situation was not good. This is lockdown deluxe, completely unfair. In fact, they got in this position because they were following Jesus. You, you, you know, you can imagine them saying, where is God in all of this? Where is he? It must have been a really dark time for them. Have you ever felt like Paul and Silas felt? Have you ever felt like you're just not going to make it through whatever you're going through at the moment? Maybe you've, you've felt like life was all over, just like Paul expressed when he wrote to the Corinthians. You know, we've, we've already read earlier about the turn. When we see this turn, we know that the story ends well, which is so great for us. It, it speaks about at about midnight. That's when things turned. Um, what happened at that darkest time, at about midnight, that caused that turn? Well, we know there was an earthquake. We know that chains were loosed. We know that people were freed, that people were saved. Paul continues in that letter to the Corinthians to say, as it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened. So he's just speaking about how they felt like they'd been sent to death row. And now he says, as it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened. Instead of trusting in our own strength or wits to get us out of there, we were forced to trust God totally. Not a bad idea since he's the God who raises the dead. And he did it. Rescued us from certain doom. And he will do it again, rescuing us as many times as we need rescuing. An incredible turnaround. So how did they get to the other side of midnight? Well, Paul and Silas had just been stripped, beaten with rods, imprisoned, and put in chains. Their backs were probably lacerated, their bodies bloody. We can just imagine that excruciating pain that they were experiencing. And here they sit in this dark, smelly, rat and cockroach infested dungeon, what are they doing? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. So in this dungeon, Paul and Silas start having a church service. They decide at that time that they're going to lift their hearts and their voices up to God. It doesn't really fit, does it? I haven't been in jail, so I'm, I'm not sure what I would do, but it doesn't seem, the actions don't seem to fit their situation. Despite this dismal experience they find themselves in, they praise God, praying and singing as the other prisoners listen. Do you think they felt like worshiping? Definitely their bodies didn't. They must have been aching. They must have been in pain and tired and and scared. But if I look at Paul throughout Scripture, it almost feels like he wouldn't have had anything else to do but praise. He just seems to have this track record record of being so aware of his God 
He says, for him to live as Christ and to die is gain. What else would he be doing? Surely he would give glory to God regardless of the circumstance he finds himself in. And that's exactly what they do. Paul and Silas trust that God is in control. And so there they are beaten up in prison, praying and praising. It's just how they rolled. There's beauty in understanding the word praise. I think many of us have quite a one-dimensional understanding of what praise would mean. But in Hebrew, there's many words for praise. And I think when you understand the different elements of singing hymns, like Paul and Silas were doing, of praising, possibly we can put ourselves in that situation a little bit more easily. One of the words for praise is todah which means to shout or address in a loud voice. But, but Torah goes further. It means having gratitude for God's promised deliverance, even when we are still in need. Torah praise is having faith and assurance that it is well, even before the victory has come. What about the word yada? Yada praise means to worship with extended hands. It's kind of the picture of a three-year-old lifting their hands up to their daddy and saying, Daddy, help me, pick me up. Yada is often a cry for help. It's used when we're in desperate need or in dire straits and we need victory from the Lord. Raising hands is an international sign of, of surrender, you know. And it's this picture of a kid saying, I can't do this, Dad. Help me. Hala is the most common word for praise. The word simply means to, to boast, to brag, or to rave about God, even to the point of appearing foolish. Uh, David, the, the word um, halah is used uh, when David says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you. I will halah you as long as I live. You know, I don't know how Paul and Silas were praising exactly, how they were singing hymns. That's all we know. But I can imagine any of these forms of praise and others that Torah praise where, where they, they're claiming the victory before it arrives because they know their God is a God who delivers. That Yada praise saying, God, we can't do this. Help. We surrender. That Halah praise, they definitely, definitely looked a little bit, a little bit foolish. I don't know how many other uh, prisoners that came into the prison singing. But that is how they got to the other side of midnight. And so how do you get to the other side of midnight? I don't know where you're at if you're feeling like you're in a midnight kind of situation where things look dark and things look desperate You know, you might not be there, but all of us will probably be in a place like that at some stage in our lives. How do you get through it? Well, Paul and Silas, they prayed and they praised. I want to speak a little bit about worship. And I just want to say three things about worship. Firstly, I want to say that worship brings the presence of God. Worship brings the presence of God. As they sang, they invited God into the environment and he showed up. He began to demonstrate himself. Was he not there before? Well, of course he was. Of course he was in that prison cell right from before the moment they arrived. But I believe that worship opens our eyes to see him. 
I believe that worship opens our eyes so that we can see the presence of God, so that we look for the presence of God and we start to see our situation in the light of him. Worship causes us to become aware of his presence. But worship also invites the presence of God. And what I mean by this is there's something incredible that happens when we worship that our God responds to us. As he, he draws near to us, as we draw near to him, just like James 4 verse 8 says, come close to God, he will come close to you. In worship, we are declaring God's truth. And when the darkness that you are facing is met with the beautiful, glorious light of his presence, well, things shift because darkness cannot drown out light. It's scientifically impossible. Worship brings the presence of God. Worship also brings the power of God. We read here in the story, suddenly there was a great earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Here we've got the first Christian concert in Europe and literally it brought the house down. When we sing, God is magnified. His dominion is declared over our situation. So when we choose to praise him in the midst of these unseen battles, he fights for us. It's kind of what Cindy spoke about two weeks ago when she was speaking about Jehoshaphat and that battle against Moab. And she spoke about how the battle is not yours, but the Lord's. How he fights for us and how worship wins the battle. Kind of like an earthquake shifts the plates of the earth. Worship shifts the spiritual atmosphere. When Paul and Silas started worshiping and praising in the midst of these horrible circumstances, it shifted things spiritually. Maybe the earthquake was a physical sign of what was happening within that jail cell on a spiritual plane. Worship brings God's power. It can be experienced in earthquakes or huge miracles, or possibly more frequently in quieter miracles that are just as powerful. When we worship, we see a picture of God in all his glory. And that picture has the power to, to quell my skepticism like no experienced apologist ever could. When we worship, we experience him by the Holy Spirit. And that is the power to grow my faith like no discipline ever could. When we worship, we encounter his omnipotent love. And that is the power to disarm my resistance in a way that reason or logic never could. Worship gives me an elevated, pronounced, majestic view of God and of his love. And that releases the power to disperse my loneliness, to quiet my doubts, to break down walls around my heart, to unlock my faith like other things just never could. When I worship, I surrender control, when I open a door for the power of God to work in my life. Which leads me on to my third thing, worship brings freedom. And not only freedom for the ones who are worshiping. If we follow that story on, I only read a tiny bit at the beginning. If we follow that story on at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. 
The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had, become, he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. You see, all were set free. Everyone's chains came loose. All of the doors flew open. It was only Paul and Silas who were worshiping. But everyone's chains came loose. They were free before they left prison. And I just want to pause here and say that sometimes God can bring you freedom, real freedom, without your circumstances changing. It is possible to be, to be locked in, but completely free. Just like it's possible to be free, to walk around and to move, but to be completely locked up. They were free before they left prison. And they stayed around for the salvation of the jailer. I've often wondered why these people would have listened to Paul and Silas and just sat, sat there. You know, it's definitely not what happens in prison movies when jail cells are opened. I don't know about you, if I had been in jail and all of a sudden my chains came loose and my cell door opened, I don't know if I would have wanted to stick around. But somehow Paul and Silas managed to convince all of these prisoners to stay there. How? I think it was their example. I think one of the biggest differentiating factors in the life of a Christian is when they are able to worship in the midst of their suffering. I think that is one of the biggest reasons for others around them to sit up and, and to look and to ask questions. See, it's, it's easy to sing hymns when life is good. It's really hard to worship when life is not good. That is when people notice the difference in our lives. Paul and Silas clung to this hard-to-understand truth that Jesus had spoken about. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. But Paul and Silas never stopped bragging about God, even while in prison. And, and Scripture tells us while Paul and Silas were singing hymns to God, the prisoners were listening to them. Now that word listening is quite a rare verb. It means to listen with pleasure as to a recitation or to music. It was a new experience for these prisoners. As I said before, I don't think that many people came into prison and then sang hymns of praise to God. This, this radical response of worship was a testimony to anyone who was listening about God's faithfulness and the trust and, and gratitude that Paul and Silas had in their God. This radical worship was a decision of their will. No matter what our circumstances, we can choose to praise God. Others may even come to Christ because of our example. And so worship brings the presence of God, worship brings the power of God, and worship brings freedom. 
so what? I don't know how you need to praise God in your situation, but I want to encourage you to do it. Toda praise. Give thanks for deliverance that you haven't yet received. Halal praise. Brag about God because his love, his love is better than life. Yada praise. Lift your arms before your father and ask him to pick you up and hold you. Experience the presence of God. It will change your perspective. And trust him to bring his power into that situation. Whatever that situation looks like, trust that he will bring freedom. So do it. And secondly, start now. The tense of that verb singing in the passage is is the imperfect tense. What that means is that it suggests that Paul and Silas had begun singing and praising a long time before and that they never stopped even while they were locked in prison. See, I don't know if you can sing in prison if you weren't singing before. Those Robin Island singers, they say that singing is a part of African culture. And so, which is very true, we can know what's going on in our country because of its soundtrack. You know, you can hear through songs of lament or songs of, of joy or songs of hope, songs of anger, you can hear what's going on in our country because singing is a part of African culture. And so they were able to sing in prison, those Robin Island singers, because it was already in them. It was already a key in their lives. And it gave them hope in a hopeless situation. And it unlocked them, even though they were locked up. And I imagine that if you are in a time of trial right now, and worship is not already a part of your life, this will be more difficult for you. But do it anyway. Start now. And I don't know whether you feel locked up right now, or even if you don't, start to sing. Make it a practice. As I write this, my my son's actually bouncing up and down the stairs just outside my bedroom. And um, he's singing Never Be Shaken, which is one of the songs that we sing at Kidsman. It's one of my favorites just to say he's also singing happy birthday to our kitten. But it's so beautiful to hear that praise is becoming a part of the soundtrack of his life. It just comes out more and more. And I pray that that soundtrack will grow. I pray that for all our kids, that there'll be less happy birthday and, and more worship. And I pray the same for you today. Wherever you are sitting, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, I pray that the worship of our Lord and our God will start to come out of your mouth all the time. That worshiping our King will become the soundtrack of your life. Let's remind ourselves that that worship of God is actually because He is completely worthy of it. His presence and the power and freedom that comes from it, that's just awesome bonuses which again speak to the nature of our God, which just give us more reason to worship him. I don't know where you find yourself today. If you find yourself in a place of darkness, a place of anger, hate, or bitterness, if you are are stuck in, in addiction or bondage, a 
place of anxiety or stress or depression, how can you find your way to the other side of midnight? Worship God. Seek Him. Find the truth of God in Scripture and then declare it in worship to God. And watch God show up and bring freedom. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this incredible gift of worship that you've given us, this incredible weapon of worship. And God, we pray that your song would always be on our lips, that we would praise you all the days of our lives, that we would praise you in the good times and the bad and in the winter seasons and in the summer seasons when everything is bright and also when we can't seem to get rid of the clouds. May we learn to worship you. May we learn to worship our King who is good and whose love never fails.